0: Welcome to the Sydney Ideas podcast series. Sydney Ideas is the University of Sydney's public events program, providing you with the opportunity to hear leading thinkers from our university and around the world. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Good evening, everybody. My name is Injie Guo. I'm the chair of the Department of Chinese Studies at the University School of Languages and Cultures. Welcome to Sydney Ideas. It's a great honor to have Professor Colin McHarris with us here this evening. He'll present an analysis of Western images of China. Before we begin the proceedings, I would like to acknowledge and pay respect to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet. Uh, The Gadigal people of the Eurora Nation It's upon their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built. Professor McCarras worked many years at the Griffith University and has been a professor emeritus at the university since he retired in 2004. He's currently um, a distinguished visiting fellow at the Department of Chinese Studies The fellowship is made uh, possible by a generous donation from Mr. James Lee, who lives in Hong Kong. Uh, We are very grateful for Mr. Lee's generous support to the department. Professor McCarras is a specialist on Chinese history, culture, ethnic minorities, and Western images of China. He has written and edited 40 books and authored nearly 200 scholarly papers. That's probably more than a few of others combined. Um, his most, I won't mention many, but I will, I'll mention a couple because they are, they are seminal work in, in China studies. Uh, his most important authored books on theater are The Rise of Peking Opera. Um, that was published by Oxford. And another is Chinese Drama A Historical Survey. These two books are really uh, a, a must for anybody who studies Chinese drama and theater. Professor McCarris has uh, received many awards and honors. Once again, I wouldn't mention all of them because there are too many. I'll just mention a couple. Uh, He is a fellow of the Australian Academy of Humanities and an officer in the Order of Australia. In 2015, he was uh, the recipient of a special China Book Award, uh, a Chinese government award given to non-Chinese who have made outstanding contributions in spreading Chinese culture through Um, through their writings so without further ado over to you Professor
0: Thank you very much (laughs) thank you very much it's a great honor to be here Um, I was born and brought up in Sydney and although I don't live here anymore I love coming back here and I think it's a wonderful place and in particular I'm very happy to be invited to the University of Sydney so thank you very much for that Now, as um, um, Guo said, I'm going to talk about uh, Western images of China, and that means um, how the West perceives China. It's not going to have pictures and things like that, but it's how the West perceives China. uh, What are the images that uh, the West has about China? Now, I'm going to focus mostly on the 21st century, Uh, and um, you have to have a bit of history, I guess, but I'm going to be mostly contemporary. I'm going to try and be as contemporary as possible. Um, I'm going to cover economic images and also images of the environment and also some political issues, including foreign policy, and also a few relevant to Australia. Now that is very, I know that's very narrow. There are a whole lot of images that um, you can talk about. You can talk about cultural, for example, and I think you might get a different result um, if you talk about culture, than if you talk about uh, politics or, or economics. But I'm, going to, um, I'm going, not going to talk very much about um, culture tonight. Now, when I say the Western images of China, one of the things that you have to ask is, what is the West? And uh, that's not a simple uh, question to answer because a lot of people have very different views about precisely what constitutes the West. But in my talk tonight, I'm going to be mainly talking about the US and also Australia, but also Europe a bit. Europe, um, is, uh, North West, you know, Western Europe, I think, is, uh, is uh, definitely the West. Um, there's a whole lot of other places that I could talk about, but um, I'm not going to. And I think the, another question that arises is are those Western images the same, you know, because I think those different Western countries, some have different types of approaches uh, to, to, um, to China and their policies certainly aren't all the same, although there is a general coherence, I think, um, about um, the policies that they have towards China and they vary according to administrations. Just now we're seeing, I think, quite a lot of difference um, in terms of the United States and um, other places in their attitudes towards various world problems. Now, what is the main argument of my talk? Well, firstly, I think that um, Western images of China are of the sort that I'm talking about, are uh, getting worse at the moment, um, and, and I think... Um, I mean, if you talked about a whole range of things, you might get a, a different sort of answer, but it seems to me that they're generally getting worse just at the moment. And I also want to talk about what causes these images. And the main point that I would like to make in this talk is that there are, there are a few things that, that um, cause these images and that govern these images. <clears throat> One is, of course, the realities of China... But I think to say it's only realities is quite shallow, actually, because I think there's a whole range of other things that do g- govern these images, including politics in the West itself, um, and the sense that a lot is found in the West, um, although in a decreasing uh, to do a de- decreasing extent, I think. Um, that the Western system of government is best, with some people saying it's even the only good one. I think that politics has a lot of effect on images and how one sees other people. I also think that the individual psychologies, wishes and experiences have an effect on how you see other, other cultures, because uh, we're talking about how one people in one culture see another culture. I guess what I would like to summarise by saying that when we talk about Western images of China, we are talking about China, of course, but we're also talking about the West. Um, if, If you examine the history of Western images of China, which I've done, you can see a lot of impact from the West itself. It tells you a lot about the West as well as it tells you A lot about China that's the main burden of the um, of this talk and I'm talking about an analysis of Western images of China now I just want to begin by with a little bit of history Um, there's a book by Raymond Dawson called the Chinese chameleon came out in 1967 and he talked about the old days you know the um, Qing dynasty that sort of period and also a bit about the 20th century etc. I'm going to talk about the 21st And uh, when he talked about chameleon, a chameleon is a kind of um, animal, uh, a reptile animal, which um, changes colour. And the idea that he thought about this Chinese chameleon, he thinks that China changes colour. In other words, it was well regarded generally in the uh, 18th century during the Enlightenment period. There are a lot of Enlightenment thinkers who talked about uh, China and although they didn't all say good things about China by any means, a lot of them had very, very positive images. I guess Voltaire is the most um, obvious example. But then in the 19th century, they changed um, much worse. They got really, really bad. And most of them were quite, in fact, not only bad, but by the end of the century, uh, downright racist in in um, in a lot of ways. Now, it is true, of course, that China got worse in that period. But I think it's also true that, um, that the 19th century, they, the colonial period, they had um, a uh, very, very well, um, they had a very well established view that they were on top of the world and they were the best ones and other people should be judged according to their values and not, um, not anybody else's. And again, when you come into the 20th century, in the first half of the 20th century, in the uh, in the U.S., the images of China got quite good, and they they did so really quite quite suddenly. They changed they changed quite suddenly um, around about 1905, actually. And there were political reasons um, as well as uh, as well as realities that uh, that uh, that uh, govern that. Now when we're talking about um, changing images, changing quickly, a very, very good example is in in, um, July 1971. What happened then was that um, Henry Kissinger went to China in secret and then after that they announced um, that that, uh, Richard Nixon, the president in those days, would visit um, China before May 1972 and in fact he went in in February 1972. The impact of that was to make images much, much better. And quite quickly. You know, in, in 1971, China did change. I mean, there was the Lin Biao Fair, for example, but it didn't change that drastically. What changed was the United States. And what changed was the um, the American politics and the American policy towards China. Now, um, you could do find changes. But I, there, is a, there is a theory which called the pendulum theory. It's a bit based on Raymond Dawson about this Chinese chameleon, you know, that changes colour. But I um, actually don't think that pendulum is a very good metaphor for these images because pendulums swing quite regularly and they swing the same height, whereas these images don't. They don't um, swing the same height, they change but they don't change um, evenly by any means. Even when the images are very bad, you find some good images there as well. Um, So I I don't um, regard this pendulum theory as a very good idea. And another thing about it is that it only describes what happens. Whereas I think if you're going to have a theory, you should be asking reasons, you know? You should be finding causes and, and doing analysis, not simply pointing out that there are... There are changes. Okay. Now, as far as image formulators are concerned, um, I think it's um, really interesting to, to note that where images come from, and how they're determined, and who who um, where do they come from, is a really interesting um, is a really interesting question. Now, in the twenty-first century, it seems to me that more and more the internet is the main source of images. Of course, it's not the only source. We still have newspapers, of course, although they, too, are, you often read them on the internet. We still have television and so on, but again, even that, you can often see on the internet, very often, in fact. And um, uh, it sh- it's, I would argue that the, the um, penetration of, um, of the internet is a, is a factor of major importance when we're going to talk about um, images. Now, according to the latest figures that I've been able to see in June this year, in North America, the rate was 88.61%. In other words, most people have access to the internet. Uh, and in Europe, it's 80.2%. In other words, again, it's, it's, a, it's a very high. Now, there are figures about China, too, which now has the largest number of people who are keyed into the internet. But um, I don't want to talk about that because this is after all Western images. It's not uh, Chinese images of the West, which is also an interesting question, but it's not what I'm talking about tonight. Now, another one is blogging. And I think blogging is connected quite closely with images. Um, And it makes them more difficult to interpret because you, you can't really see them all. But I think there are tendencies, they, they are um, free of controls, or much less control anyway than, than um, a newspaper. You don't have to be a professional to write blogs, anyone can, can uh, do it. Um, but I think it's also it's also, well it's interesting in that you find ideas on blogs which people will not say usually except to their closest friends. They might think they shouldn't be thinking this, you know but they are thinking it, and you find um, hatred, you know, very, very strong hatreds, of, um, I- including of China. You also find um, some, uh, some uh, vigorous defences also, I'd have to add that. Now, it seems to me that in, in our century, the most favourable image, the positive one, most positive one, is about the economy. And some of them maybe are too positive, um, anyway, I think they're, they're very interesting. You can find... Uh, I'm not going to read out all these things, but I will read out uh, the one by Robert Fogel because he has put forward an extremely positive view about China's economic growth. Um, he says that the Chinese economy by, in 2040 is going to be nearly three times the total 2,000 world economic output. output. And he observes in his first paragraph that China's share of the global de- GDP, which he predicts will be 40% in 2040, is going to dwarf out of the United States and the European Union as the world's largest economy. In other words, he has put forward an extremely positive view about China's economic growth and what he predicts it's going to be like in uh, 2040. Now... Um, That was written in 2010, okay. People are a little bit less optimistic then, uh, now, than they were in 2010. Um, And I find um, what Robert Fogel says to be frankly a little bit unbelievable. But I have to admit that he's a Nobel Laureate for economics. So presumably he knows what he's talking about. um, And presumably he's given some close thought to all this. Um, I, I use him as an example because it's the best example I, I know of, of somebody who we really should take seriously with such a positive view. And I guess i begin with that because a lot of what I'm going to say is not nearly so positive as, as that about China. We also know that um, there are a lot of images being put forward about, um, that are not so positive, about currency manipulation. Whenever we have an election in the United States, they always have to vie with each other about how China is manipulating the currency to the detriment of the, um, of the Western um, economies. It's very, very political, it seems to me, in, in those things. Uh, and that there are a lot of people in the West who believe that China's bad labour practices enable it enables it to produce things more cheaply, which put workers in, countries, in other countries out of work because people can't compete with, um, with uh, Chinese uh, business, because they don't treat their workers properly. In other words, these are quite negative, negative images. Another thing people say is that the Chinese economy is not sustainable, it'll, it'll stop growing and then it'll, uh, there'll be very big problems. Another one is about imbalance. Now, th- this is actually quite a serious problem, which the Chinese government also has, has, uh, has talked about a lot. Um, I don't have time to go into all this Gini coefficient business, but it's in 2012, the figures showed China was about the same as the US. And there were also some figures which showed China being much worse than the US, much more uneven. Um, Official figures recently have said that it's beginning to come down not quite uh, not as bad I don't know whether to believe that or not but I think there are a lot of people in the West who don't believe it and who think that it, the situation is getting um, getting much worse as time goes on now I want to talk about the environment I, I don't have that much time to to um, to to spend but the the question of the environment is a, is a really interesting one and I think it's a really important one too because a lot of people when they think of China they think of the bad things about China. They think of the environment first, and I know a lot of uh, people who don't want to live in China because they think it's not good for their health and that their health will suffer. And um, we we find um, examples like the BBC, um, uh, you know, the Return of the Air Apocalypse, which is like the Apocalypse except that it's the Air Apocalypse, showing how bad the air is in um, is in Beijing with Beijing's expats fleeing the smog, this is the um, headline uh, that we find in the BBC, this was in uh, March uh, 2014. Also about wildlife, uh, wildlife dying out, you know, tigers, the northeastern tiger, uh, pandas, and, um, and uh, well, the question of the panda is a, there's a lot to be said about that. But on the whole, the, the West is not very impressed with uh, how, the, uh, how the Chinese have treated this, um, this problem. Now, um, I do want to add something on the other side, however, which I think is interesting anyway. There was a report put out very, very recently, by which I mean the last few days, um, which gave figures about how much uh, different countries spend on renewable you know renewable energy sources uh, and um, China was the top one okay they spend more than any other country and that I think that is true they they have quite a lot of money put into this recently um, and of course the scale of the problem is so big that it uh, that it takes a long time to make a difference the second one is India by the way just for interest and then the third one is the US and uh, Germany and then we come fifth Australia is number five on, on the list so I mean, I don't know whether Malcolm Turnbull should make a bit more about that than he does, but uh, anyway, that's, that's what the figures showed. Now, as for the environment, this, it's, um, in, in 2009, there was a big meeting in, in Copenhagen at in which the Chinese got really bad press. There was, um, uh, there was a, a journalist who took part in all the meetings well, actually, he, he represented the Maldives, not, he wasn't a journalist, but he put out reports saying that the Chinese had tried to stop all agreements and had been extremely negative about, um, you know, our own Kevin Rudd made uh, r- remarks that I'm not going to repeat um, about how that were extremely insulting about the uh, Chinese. However, re- more recently, it seems to have got much better, at least in terms of how the Chinese take part in international meetings, uh, and um, the most recent one, um, which was um, which was um, in um, with in uh, in June this year, Donald Trump said that he was going to take the U.S. out of the Paris uh, Paris Agreement, um, which had been signed in um, in um, in October uh, last year, um, uh, which uh, said that um, there, there was going to be a reduction of carbon emissions and that everyone should aim to, to do that. Well, then, when Donald Trump um, withdrew from that, the Chinese Premier, Li Keqiang, happened to be in Europe, and he put out a statement vigorously disagreeing with that, which was noticed in the, in the, um, in the American press, by the way, because, because um, it showed that um, China was on the right side as against the, um, as against the United States, um, Donald Trump, who was not. Now, very briefly, I want to just say say a couple of things about images of Chinese politics. Now, this is also a very complicated, um, but also, I think, interesting issue. Um, The fact is that there are varying views, and I think most of them uh, tend to be negative. Two that I think are interesting is one book by a man called Daniel Bell, it's called the China Model, Political Meritocracy and the Limits of Democracy, And in which he argues in there that China's system of government is based on a meritocracy. In other words, people are chosen, cadres are chosen uh, and trained according to merit, and that for all its faults, the people who are in charge of China uh, are, um, well, he thinks, meritoc- merit- Meritocratic. He also thinks that Western democracy has got, a, got some problems because it can't take long-term decisions, because whenever you take a decision, then you're going to be voted out or possibly be voted out at, at the next election, which he thinks makes... Uh, of course, the Chinese agree with that. They, they uh, continually say such things about how that makes their system not such a bad one. On the other hand, there's a man called Stein Ringen. He's a professor at Oxford. University who wrote a book called *The Perfect Dictatorship: China in the 21st Century*, which is extremely negative about everything to do with Chinese government. He thinks it's very repressive and getting more so. Um, he thinks its a human rights record is, is very bad and getting worse. Um, but he also thinks that it's so tight, so repressive that the Communist Party is going to last. He thinks it will last for a while, um, and that, of course, is um, it's not a universally held view because there are a lot of people who think that it's um, it's it will collapse um, quite soon. Now, I, I I would like to go into that question about the um, the future of the of China, but I don't have time, unfortunately. I think that these these two people um, are are really interesting examples. Daniel Bell. Lives in China. He works at Tsinghua University. He's Canadian, um, and um, he's a China specialist. He's, he speaks Chinese very well. His wife is Chinese. Um, he um, he knows a lot about China, a lot. Um, Stein Ringen, on the other hand, is not a China specialist. He's a political scientist. And I wonder if those dis- those different disciplines make a difference in how people uh, think of things. I mean, for, for Ring and the issues are about politics and political systems. Now, I'm not going ju- to am not making judgments. I think they're both interesting disciplines, but I think that they may be one among those things that affect um, affect uh, the conclusions that are uh, that are reached. Um, well, yeah. I, I won't talk about that, I think, because I don't, I don't have so much time. Now, I want to talk about human rights. They, why do I talk about them? Because they are a major issue in Western images of China, especially since the late 80s, especially since the 1989, the big incident on June 4th with the suppression of the, of the um, student movement. Um, with um, a, it's ex- a very, extremely amid a lot of bloodshed. A, a most unfortunate um, event which caused the West to, to raise the issue of human rights um, more, more than it had done before. I mean, it wasn't completely new, by the way. There'd been, uh, there'd been um, uh, issues before that ever since the time of Jimmy Carter, um, a decade or so before that. And the issue of civil rights... Even goes back to the 18th century. You find references to to that there, but it's got much more so now, and it seems to me that it's getting more so, despite the fact that it's there's been ups and downs, um, and from time to time the West has sort of thought, well, maybe we can we can talk about um, this, we can do we can trade, and we can we can um, we can um, um, engage with China. Uh, much more. But I think in the last few years, um, the, the situation has got more tense. And so that's how it looks to me. And I'd be, I'd be interested if others have a different view. I think this may be because of Xi Jinping's policies. Um, Xi Jinping has, is definitely does not want the Chinese Communist Party to be overthrown. Uh, and he is uh, suppressing dissent um, much more than uh, the pre- his predecessor, Hu Jintao. Um, and uh, there have been, although actually some of, the, some of the examples that I'm giving, there's riots in, in Tibet and Xinjiang, which actually occurred under Hu Jintao, not under Xi Jinping. Although especially in, Xi, in Xinjiang, it's been an ongoing um, factor. The thing I want to say about those riots, reactions about those riots, they are extremely complicated. Now, I don't claim to know everything or be right, but I've, I've studied the question of ethnic minorities, uh, and it seems to me that those riots are not straightforward. The Western press, however, tended to put all the blame on China. And, you know, it's because it's repressive and, and, um, and because it's, um, it's, um, um, there's no, no human rights. Um, on the other hand, the Chinese government tended to put put blame on outside sources you know and outside uh, people outside China um, and as far as Xinjiang is concerned including the um, ISIS you know because there have been quite a few terrorist incidents in, in Xinjiang uh, lately my own view for what it's worth is that both are, are, are um, there both are to, to be um, considered I think that a lot of the way in which the West reacted was definitely highly politicized it wasn't wrong I'm not saying it's wrong but I'm saying it's definitely highly politicized and that there is much more to to all these things uh, than meets the eye the fact is that um, when you're talking human rights the West tends to take a very individualistic view which is which is rational and natural China tends to take a very com- communitarian view. In other words, they argue, well, the, 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 the livelihood of the Chinese people, millions and millions of them, hundreds of millions, has got much better. So that means good human rights. Whereas the Western, Western journalists tend to argue, well, there's human rights abuses, you know, the um, Tibetans are not, are not allowed to this, this and that. Um, and uh, Liu Xiaobo, the, the dissident, was put in prison um, when he should have got the Nobel uh, Peace Prize, um, and, and things of this sort. Um, well, I mean, that, uh, it seems to me that both are actually rational. I think the, I think the livelihood of the Chinese people has got much better. Um, and I think not only in terms of, um, of economics, but also in terms of, um, of other confidence and other things like that. You know, can I just say, I've, I went first to China in 1964, that's over 50 years ago, um, and um, I've been going there many, many times. I've been there about 70 times or so nowadays. now, up to now, I've lost count, actually. Um, and it seems to me, I mean, I'm, that's only one pair of eyes, of course, I've only got one pair of eyes, just like everybody else. But in my eyes, the livelihood of the Chinese is much better than it used to be i find my among my students they're more they're more confident they're more open um, and they certainly have a higher standard of living they also have their worries of course they have a lot of worries um but um if if i was a chinese i'd much rather be alive now than um than 50 years ago let alone 100 years ago let alone 150. so anyway this is all sort of an image of about human rights an issue about human rights i think that this is a big issue as far as the, um, the um, Western images of China was concerned and that it's not getting better. Now, I just want to talk about China as a threat because it seems to me that this threat idea is coming back. Um, I think um, there's a lot of people in the West... I mean, in the 50s, we know that, um, that the United States had a very, very clear policy that China was uh, aggression, aggressive, was formally um, condemned for aggression in, uh, as a result of the Korean War. Um, and um, then uh, and Australia and various other countries also followed that. Then when the engagement took started with Nixon going to China in the, in the early 70s, then that tended to disappear. And under Whitlam here, for example, in, in Australia, you didn't find it under Whitlam. Um, it it uh, disappeared altogether, but in America, d- at the end of the uh, 20th century and throughout the 21st century, it's, g- it's coming back, um, and I think it's coming back quite a lot. There's a lot to be uh, said about this, and a lot of documents to read, and a lot of what people are, th- are thinking. Um, but um, I think that uh, David Shambo uh, is uh, his comment about the um, the. Uh, shift in American thinking. He says the engagement strategy, that's the one that was developed by Nixon and uh, Kissinger, he thinks that has um, unravelling. And now that um, he thinks, was based on the the presupposition that China would not challenge the American dominant security architecture and order in East Asia. But he thinks that's gonna happen now. That is already happening. In other words, that China is um, challenging that American dominant Security Act, and that is a threat to the United States. That, that's uh, the idea that comes forward. Now, one another one that I just would like to refer very briefly, and that is this Belt and Road Initiative. There's been a bit about that, of course, in China. They are very proud of this, and they, there's a lot of propaganda, there's a lot of, of, um, of uh, things about it on the, in the press, on, on the radio and so on, and, and the internet and big conferences which are, which are put up to, to, to praise and to further the interests of this Belt and Road initiative. And, I mean, I just went to a conference myself, actually, in, in Dunhuang, in Gansu province, a very, very nice place, um, about that. And uh, I was very struck by the, the other Westerners. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's lots of non-Westerners, of course, but I'm talking Western images of China. And I was, I was struck by by um, one group which thought it was good for business, an Englishman. He thought it was good for business. Um, that's why he supports it. Um, and I think there are many who, who, who hold that view. But I also think, uh, and I'm, I base this on what I read in the press and what I hear from my friends and, and uh, even your friends that are reasonably quite sympathetic to China, that it's an attempt to expand Chinese power um, and that it's going to lead to a kind of colonialism, a new form of colonialism um, across the Eurasian continent. In other words, it's, there's, um, there's a positive and negative, but I think that in terms of images, the negative is um, worse. Now, it's because of the time I'm not going to talk about that, although it's interesting. I want to talk about some very some brief surveys, because these surveys, they suggest to me that in the West people are less favourably disposed towards China than they used to be. Gallup and Pew, for example, see Americans as becoming more negative about China in the second decade of the 21st century. And then there were, you can see this, this uh, Pew research question, do you have a favourable or unfavourable view, view of China? I mean, I don't need to read those out. You can see what they're saying that um, in the United States and also in Germany, and in, in, um, they're, the, the, they're getting quite, um, you know, getting more negative. UK and France, not so much, but um, in, in uh, America, for example, uh, according to a very recent report that I saw, a Pew report, this was in February this year, it said that young Americans, it said that, um, um, Amer- that negative views on China among Americans were on the increase. And Gave give figures from two, 29% in 2006 to 55% in 2016. Young Americans much less so. But um, nevertheless, those figures are quite... I mean, I, mean I, f- I find them very surprising because that's not how it looks to me. I, I don't find China getting worse and worse and worse as those figures um, um, suggest that most Americans do. Now, um, as for Australia, now Australia, can I, I just want to talk a little bit about Australia. There's um, the Lowy Institute. They put out reports on um, how Australians are thinking about the international situation and about various other things too. Um, and um, they, they all find that Australians think of the countries of the Anglosphere as their best friends. Okay, the, the New Zealand, you can see, read them if you're interested, UK, US and, uh, and, uh, and uh, so on, but, um, and Canada. But um, among the ones that are not in the Anglosphere, China is the number one, okay? Eight uh, percent of Australians put it first as the most friendly towards uh, the country that you, we regard most uh, as, as best. Now... Um, the uh, uh, Michael Foley Love and Alex Oliver, who are both very uh, senior in the in the Lowy Institute, and uh, as far as I know, very good scholars. I think they, they are good scholars. They wrote an article, and I just want to quote Australians also are uncomfortable about the behaviour of America's geopolitical rival China. Today's poll finds that Australians' fear of China as a potential military threat has increased again with almost half of Australians, forty six percent saying it's likely China will become a military threat to Australia in the next 20 years. Then, I mean, this is not a quote, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's uh, what they're saying. Even so, Australians continue to see China as vital to us. China remains tied with the US as our most important relationship. Despite these concerns, most Australians, 79%, continue to see China as more of an economic partner than a military threat. So what's that saying? for australians china is important it matters now that that is of course i think that's obvious but it's it's certainly interesting and it matters as much as the us does that is very interesting as a, as an image i think but a lot of people are nervous that it's going to get a threat a military threat just like in the 50s and i find that personally worrying because I'm, i don't don't agree with it but um anyway that's just my view Um, a lot of people in Australia do, but they still think that as an economic partner it's um, more important than as a military threat. So I mean that's uh, a few about what Australia thinks uh, about it. Now very recently, I don't know if I've got time to go into this, you'll probably have seen in the press that there's been a lot of um, comment about Chinese students and about China, the Chinese government trying to take over Australia and in particular trying to take over um, Australian universities. Um, And uh, just uh, the other day, the department, the head of the Department of Foreign Affairs, Francis Adamson, who used to be the um, ambassador, Australian ambassador to China for several years, she, uh, she was there very, very recently, the one before the present one. Um, she gave, anyway, Frances Adamson gave a talk to the Adelaide Confucius Institute, in which she said that if um, Chinese students, she welcomed Chinese students, first of all, she said they were, they were very important to have in Australia, but then she said that, that um, if they heard ideas they didn't like or that they thought were very strange, they should engage, um, and um, and uh, not stay silent, and, and um, not just say, "Oh, this is nonsense," and not to demonstrate against them, but sort of engage. Well, I mean, I guess that's a that's a reasonable point of view, and I, I mean, I I agree with Francis Adamson, but I must say I find this, and I'd like to raise another side of it. Wherever you find people who go from one country to live in another, you have the, the um, phenomenon that people find it, first of all, very strange and they don't quite know how to react to it, even if they know something about the country themselves. Now, I found that when I first went to China, I can tell you. And I found it a very, um, very daunting, you know? And it gives you lots to think about. Um, and I don't find it surprising that, that people, um, um, you know, f- also Chinese students, um, react in this sort of way and I don't find it also disturbing. I can't see why it's disturbing and I can't see why it's not, a, it's not reasonable for people to have the right to express um, their own point of view. I mean, I don't know if the Chinese government is trying to, to take over Australian universities or Australia but I don't see the signs of that. That seems to me an extremely alarmist point of view and I know some people do put it forward. I read an article today which argued that very forcefully, um, uh, that that's just what I've said, that they're trying to take over and, and um, take over Australian universities. Um, and I think it's um, too, much too alarmist uh, and I think it is um, extremely unfortunate, the whole question, and it does relate to the whole question about images Um, I mean, um, I also read an article by Peter Dryasdale and John Denton, which I thought was very interesting, in the Financial Review. They said, there's an elevated demonising of China to quell deep and gnawing anxieties that surround the unpredictability of the US alliance under Mr Trump. Now, I find that quite... um, I think that's an interesting argument. In other words, I think there is a lot of politics in this as well as, um, as, you know, as for realities, I, I think there are realities, but I've, I've already told you how I react to, to those, because, I mean, I just don't think it's reasonable to expect that, that a Chinese student, or any other student, if it comes to, to that, who comes here to study, is immediately going to say, oh, it's so wonderful, Australia is so wonderful, and, um, and what, everything we have at home is so horrible. Um, actually, according to research, that I've seen Chinese students react less like that than, than quite a number of um, others and, uh, and, and get on with their studies. There have only been four incidents, untoward incidents. And out of hundreds, you know, we've got this 150,000 or so Chinese students studying in, um, in Australia now. I've, got, I've asked the question at the bottom, are there likely to be consequences? Well, I mean, I suppose the sort of question I'm raising, I, I don't want to it'd be too. Uh, depressing but I mean you would think that maybe the Chinese students will think well if I'm going to be treated like that I might go somewhere else we cannot do without Chinese students now the universities including this one would go broke if we didn't have Chinese students and I mean I personally when I was first went to China I told you I went there in 1964 I thought it would be great to have Chinese students in Australia I, I worked for that you know I, uh, I even longed for it, you know? And um, now that it's happening, I'm not going to go back and say, oh, there's too many, we'd better, we'd better, we'd better try to dissuade them to come here and they can go, um, go, can go somewhere else. Where are there likely to be consequences? I personally don't think there will be, because I think there's a bit of common sense. I've found there's uh, quite a bit of common sense uh, in there, but I w- it's, it's, it's a question that you can't um, completely ignore, I think. Now, I'm nearly at the end because I think it's good to, it's, uh, Maybe you'll have some questions you want to ask. Are images getting worse? Well, I think they are. Examples I've shown you about the, um, the worsening of the econ- economy. Uh, I've, show- I've told you that I think um, the, the um, regime is getting... You know, the, the situation is getting nastier and more oppressive with dissent not allowed. I've, I've talked about the return of the, the, the China threat. Of course, there are some, uh, there are some alternatives. Uh, if you think of just now, we've had this, this, all this problem with North Korea. You know, we have Trump and, and uh, Kim Jong-un sort of snarling at each other. And um, everyone's very worried. I'm sure you are, I certainly am, about what it's going to lead to. And China seems to be much more rational, you know, in in the kind of role that it can play. So, I mean, it's not all all bleak. But why why are these images, I'm arguing, getting worse? Well, I think China is rising. It's getting more assertive. I think there is a fear uh, that uh, the age of Western dominance is over, or at least is approaching its end. I don't know about over, but approaching its end. I think politics in the West is much more divisive much we have much greater divisions we see this all over the Western world you know and we see it not only the Western world I guess we see rising nationalisms you know in Turkey and in India China or USA and and um, and and various um, other places I think that politics has got a lot to do with this I Guess I've made that point um, I think that Trump okay I think he's a symptom rather than a cause of all this. But I think his, um, his tenure of office certainly doesn't make this is better, in fact if, if anything makes it much worse. I think that, chi- that the West is getting less confident about itself. Um, I think on the other hand China is getting more confident about itself. That's certainly the impression I've got over looking at China over the, um, over the past few, many years. Uh, and again, can I just end by repeating what I said already? I think that if I look at the way China has has changed over those 50 years, in most, almost all respects, it's getting much better. And I think it is continuing to get better. I don't see the, um, I think the, Im- the realities, at least in my eyes, have got much better than the, Im- have improved much more than the images have and if you're looking at the last couple of years i would make that point even more strongly than if you'd made it over the last 50 years that's all for me yeah. thanks for listening to the sydney ideas podcast series for more information about our upcoming events or to listen to more podcasts head to sydney.edu.au/sydney_ideas